Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of Welcome love. to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. Janet Eyring, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Very good, thanks. Good, good. Glad to have the chance to have you on the program. I know that FAIR has been wanting to uh, have an interview with you for some time. I know that you were part of a panel discussion where I participated as well at the recent FAIR conference, but people who were not there probably don't know who you are. So maybe if you could just start us off with just a, a brief um, bio of, you know, who you are, what your studies are in, and uh, and then we'll start with the interview. Okay, sounds good. Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, if, we, if I go way, way back, I was born in Berkeley, California, um, to um, in a, into a Mormon family. I was the youngest of seven children, and um, I am from a family which values education. Um, some of your listeners might be familiar with a couple of my relatives. Uh, my father is Camilla Kimball's um, brother, and so he, he was a brother-in-law to Spencer Kimball, and my first cousin is Henry Eyring. Um, so um, I think in um, some ways, looking at their teachings and hearing them speak, you'd know something about me and the kind of uh, value that our family has had um, for education. Um, and uh, being raised in Berkeley was just felt very comfortable. Um, people were kind of inquisitive in the Berkeley Ward, and uh, there were some pretty notable scholars there as I was growing up, and uh, Hugh Nibley and Richard Anderson, Spencer Palmer, and, and a bunch of others um, that really made a very dynamic um, ward and a very uh, a group of people that uh, weren't afraid to speak their mind and um, uh, investigate questions and and uh, speak about these things. Even in Sunday school lessons and church services, social gatherings, and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I don't know if that's what influenced me or not, but I, I just know by nature, from a very young age, I'm kind of a seeker, and um, 
always a thinker, analytical about um, spiritual matters, and um, I wasn't really discouraged from being that way in my family. I think my parents had a value for uh, raising daughters and sons that uh, could uh, go to college and and, uh, excel in their careers um, and that kind of thing. So um, I never really thought that critical thinking um, was counter to uh, thinking about spiritual matters or or getting a testimony and that kind of thing. Gotcha. I want to ask, being related to people who uh, have served as general authorities in the church, especially that high up as Spencer W. Kimball and and, uh, and Henry Eyring, does that put pressure on you as a person to to, to fit the mold of, of a good Mormon? You know, not really, because um, you know, I was raised outside of Utah. I, I think I didn't even understand their significance, um, especially Spencer Kimball. I mean, he would come through when there were conferences and that, stay in our home, um, have dinner with us. He just was a wonderful person. And I, I, I have to say, I did not, as a child, understand his role at all in, in the church. Um, now, um Henry Eyring is, is my cousin, although he's, I think he might be about 20 years older than I am. So uh, it's not that we knew each other closely, but um, uh, I, w- I was aware of him um, as I was growing up. And uh, his father, uh, Henry Eyring, my uncle, um, I had quite a bit of contact with and uh, so heard um, somewhat of what was happening with, with Hal. I knew he was the, the president of Rick's College and so forth. But he, it was, they were kind of distant, I have to say, to my day-to-day operations in, in uh, the Bay Area. Gotcha. Well, that, that kind of fills it in. I think sometimes we, as members of the church who perhaps live outside of Utah, for instance, I, of course, live in Ohio, and I'm not related to anybody. In fact, I'm the only member of the church in my side of the family. And I just, I often wonder how Latter-day Saints out West who have uh, family members who are leaders within the church, if that puts any added pressure on it. And obviously, from your point of view, at least, um, maybe not speaking for everybody from your point of view, though it didn't. I, I did want to ask you, as far as growing up in the church, what what was your experience like and, and what kind of things did uh, did your experiences entail as you as you spent your time growing up in the, in the LDS faith? Um, I think pretty typical of, of uh, Mormons in active Mormon families. Um, both of my parents expressed um, belief in the gospel and, and in the Mormon version of it. Um, they paid their tithing, uh, kept the Sabbath day holy, accepted all callings that... Uh, that were um, asked of them. Um, we had family prayer. All the babies were blessed and children were baptized at, at kind of the normal times. Um, there was uh, uh, observable giving to others, um, maybe others in, in more need than we were. Um, and so my um, growing up in the church was, I think, pretty typical of kind of an active Mormon family. Um, but I did grow up in Berkeley, which had such a diverse um a uh, variety of people that live there. Um, I had Catholic friends and Protestant friends and Jewish friends that I went to school with. And I, I think at a young age, I really didn't, um, I didn't see Mormonism as, as, as really um, superior in terms of influencing people to be good. And um, uh, it seemed like uh, families of all faiths loved each other. And um, but, I, but I will say most of my fam- friends were from families with some kind of faith or some kind of church association. So that um, probably in Berkeley today, that, that may be not the case. Um, but uh, I kind of remember from a real young age struggling um, in testimony meeting when people would bear testimonies and they would always say, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that uh, the church is true. 
and um, I, I just remember that kind of bothering me because I, I don't think I'm re- I was really wired that way to publicly declare something which which I didn't know through deliberate thought or research or study. Um, and somehow those testimonies seemed insincere to me and, and not to be trusted. Um, I think I would have had an easier time if they had just said, I believe the church is true. But um, then I guess that really wouldn't be a testimony. As, as uh, I think even today, um, we, we kind of instructed that, that it's nice to believe, but, but knowing is, is kind of a higher level form of um, testimony. Um, but I have to say, you know, using some hindsight, maybe I, I could talk more about this later, but um, I think at the time I was quite sheltered. And so it could be that people who had experienced a lot more than I had perhaps did know some things. Um, so from, from my kind of naive standpoint, I, I just probably didn't think that they possibly could. As you know, um, that time of my youth was uh, the hippie movement of Berkeley was in full uh, full array, I guess, uh, the 1960s and 1970s, and um, I had several siblings that, that were questioning the church and kind of uh, its teachings and rules and that kind of thing, perhaps because of my parents' uh, reaction to them and their behavior or just because I wasn't wired that way. I began to realize that there there were a lot of ways to maybe view the church. I, I didn't necessarily want to break all the rules, but I, I did did uh, have some doubts about the Joseph Smith story. And uh, let's see, I and then in to high school, I went to seminary, and I, I have to say now, I mean, using hindsight, I wasn't that well-versed in scripture or church history. Um, that got a little better when I went to BYU and, and had to take some required religion courses. I, I particularly remember Richard Anderson um, taught a New Testament course that, that really made the Bible, the New Testament, come alive for me. I, I finally kind of understood some of the contexts that, that were unclear before. But to tell you the truth, I, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, they weren't really clear to me what, what their place was in, in our spiritual scriptures, um, and, and they didn't really inspire me. I remember reading the Book of Mormon and just, I mean, it's its really kind of violent. <laughs> and I remember right. as a kid, it just was not, um, it, it, I, I wasn't really moved by much in there. So, you know, at the time, I um, felt like I, I was lacking in knowledge. I, I didn't have the kind of testimony that I felt I was supposed to have, I, that I had a desire to know more. And so I decided to go on a mission, um, and I was uh, sent to Toronto, Canada. And in my mind, it, and I, it, I probably didn't tell anybody this, but in my mind, it was to find out for myself once and for all if the church was true. Um, and, my, and my concerns at that time were were really theological. Did Joseph Smith see God? Was the Book of Mormon real? Is, is there really a living prophet and, and things like that? So, Janet, I just I want to share a couple of maybe thoughts with you. I know you just talked a little bit about uh, Richard Anderson. I thought it was interesting that you brought him up. Uh, I'm a big fan of Richard and some of his writings on the on the witnesses to the Book of Mormon. But maybe I don't, you're, I'm sure you're aware of this, but uh, Carl Anderson, his brother, uh, lives out here in Kirtland, Ohio, and I just I often think talking to different Latter Day Saints that it's a it's a small world. I think especially within Mormonism, when you run into other Mormons, that somebody always knows somebody else. But uh, Richard Anderson's brother Carl Anderson lives out here in Kirtland, and uh, I think talking to your husband that uh, you guys had met Carl before. Is that right? Well, we did. You know, we went on a church tour, and um, they had uh, arranged for him to come and speak to the group, and so we were really fortunate to kind of hear his uh, viewpoint on those early years of the church and uh yeah it was great it was it was great awesome awesome the other thing that kind of caught my eye from the 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 things you were just speaking about in regards to your going up in the church i i thought it was kind of um 
a neat observation that you made at a young age that people standing up in testimony meetings and saying, I know that it, it almost sounded like you said insincere to you. And I just, I just want to back that up. I know that a lot of people who struggle with their faith kind of come to that same conclusion that they feel like the entire time growing up, there was this push to know there was this expectation that when you got up for testimony meeting, that the words you used would, would be the word I know. And some people would even add with every fiber of my being. And, and yet, you notice that at an early age, and most of us who have a faith crisis or struggle with faith, it's not until after we get deep into that crisis that we start to realize that that the way we see things maybe didn't fit the way we saw it before. But it seems like you were picking up on some of that early on. Yeah, I I remember. I you know I think more than anything, just maybe it was jealousy. You know, but some people able to so uh, assuredly say they knew something. Thing and and I really didn't I you know I I did not have the basis to know that right it just it seemed perfectly normal to me until after I until after I had my trial of faith and then all of a sudden it felt out of place but uh, again I just I just noticed it seems like you were observant of some of those things early on I want to kind of lead into where your loss of faith occurred knowing from from you and I having talked at the fair conference and having participated in that panel and recognizing that everybody in the panel discussion had had a major challenge to their testimony I wonder if maybe you could lead us through this loss of faith that you had and help help the listeners to understand what all went into uh, into that uh, that trial or that challenge or that faith crisis that you had. As I said before, I went to Toronto, Canada, on my mission. As all missionaries learn, it's um, there's a pretty regimented life um, that's expected of missionaries. Um, I began reading the scriptures every day, probably more than I had um, as a student at BYU, um, praying sincerely every day. Um, and as I mentioned, I, I did have a desire to know for certain that that this was the Lord's church. Um, teaching others about the church, you learn a lot also doing that and, and just interacting with many non-members. Um, sometimes I, I think that I might have not had the faith Christ because I've been called to a Spanish speaking mission because, um, I had been a Spanish major at BYU and I, I actually had expected to go to a Latin American mission where you probably struggle for, you know, several months not being able to understand anything. And in my case, from day one, I was completely, um, understanding everything and, and getting into pretty deep uh, discussions with people about gospel issues. Um, so I met wonderful people in Canada. Um, uh, I had some interesting experiences where people joined the church. Um, and, but along the way, you, you knock on doors and you meet all kinds of people. And I remember uh, receiving some anti-Mormon literature from, I think it was a minister. Um, and it had uh, different uh Bits of information about Joseph Smith's multiple first visions and Joseph Smith, the glass looker and the similarities of the Masonic ceremonies in the temple, which I had never heard before. And, um, you know, you get get on a mission and you just have 24 hours a day to think and ponder things. And many of these things troubled me greatly. Um, and at that time, I, I prayed and, and actually felt that I got an answer to prayer that the Mormon church was not true. That, that I'd been deluded and that I should search elsewhere for the truth. Um, it's kind of interesting now when I, when I think about that, that I, I turned away from those who loved and cared about me, who, you know, my parents and others who had sent me on the mission and, and were helping financially with that. 
and missionary companions who also were very kind and gracious, but that a, a minister who I didn't even know had, uh, who obviously had reasons to make me doubt, um, I, for whatever reason, was somewhat trust, trusting of him. Maybe because on a mission you're supposed to love the, <laughs> the people you teach and, and interact right. with. Um, so about three months before the end of my mission, I, I really was uh, feeling like a hypocrite because I'd go to doors and didn't really feel that I, I could uh, as uh, convincingly present a testimony. And I asked the mission president if I could go home. And he encouraged me to stay since I was I was so close to the end. Uh, but when I got back, um, I, I went to BYU to finish up a teaching certificate um in my field, and um, I accepted a first job in a in a little old a little place, uh, which many Utahns know, but I had, don't recall knowing it. Um, Fillmore, Utah. Um, and while I was there, uh, in a roommate situation, I remember the phone rang one day, and uh, someone asked for me, and I got on the phone, and, and they they identified themselves and said that that someone had just died in a plane crash, but before the plane went down, uh, he was asked to contact me. And I, I just remember the feeling that I had of, of kind of warmth, like, my goodness, this this seems like some, some kind of answer to prayer. Um, that, that, you know, God, through through means of someone that's just died in a plane crash, is, is trying to get in touch with me. Um, so I, I did kind of pursue that for a while um, and learn there's, there's quite a bit of proselytizing in Utah County by born-again Christians who are uh, working hard to influence Mormons out of the church. Uh, but for me, um, that route really turned out to be a dead end. And then my next job was in Salt Lake City, and um, I kind of hooked up with some of the Sunstone people um, who are also often thinking about um, the faith and um, you know, really enjoyed discussions about church history and doctrine. But I, I just I felt that wasn't enough, that, that, that I, I really didn't believe it anymore. And the only honest route for me was a clean break from the church. And I, I just I really couldn't pretend to believe. Um, and so I, I needed to search it out for myself. And I ended up um, going to um, UCLA and um but before that i kind of did get connected with the unitarian church in salt lake city and uh, i actually found some comfort there um there were people that were pretty conversant about mormon issues and and faith issues and uh they they also kind of accepted everyone and everything that they deemed positive um and and during that period i was speaking against the church um to anyone who might want to listen criticizing the leaders the book of mormon and that kind of thing um but I um, ended up going to UCLA uh, and, again, hooked up with the Unitarian Church in Santa Monica and uh, and then continued some association with that church uh, in, until I got my first job at a major university. And uh, I was very preoccupied for, for many years. You know, the first, um, gosh, 15 years of your life at a university, you're just worried about being retained, tenured, and promoted. So there wasn't a lot of extra time, but I, I did – continue some association with the Unitarians um, and, and felt some spiritual benefits. In this whole uh, time you spent out of the church, I mean, how did your how did your family handle that? Did you did you have, you know, what, what kind of efforts were made on their behalf to try and bring you back and and maybe speak just for a moment about about that effort and, and what was helpful and what wasn't maybe? Uh, yeah, um, I uh, I have to say that I think my mother and, and father, especially my mother, was very disturbed and concerned and didn't didn't uh, didn't really want to accept that I felt the way I did and um, 
but but I will say, you know, I was always welcome at home still, and and uh, there was not um, not any kind of shunning. But you know, when you <clears throat> you kind of don't believe the same things, it's it's a little harder to speak the same language on um, certain levels. Um, so I guess what was helpful was the fact that they they did remain in communication, and um, you know, I guess. You know, people that I maybe still had some contact with that I I respected were were those that that um, kind of um, made me feel valid in in the sense that you know I I was a person I had the right to think about things I had a right to an opinion um, that my feelings might not be the feelings that others had uh, I really really wasn't helped by people who were judgmental and uh, had no empathy at all you know I have to say I was not too interested in them. Um, so, so, you know, in the, in the end, those who, I guess, you know, really lived the, the Christian walk, um, were the ones I wanted to come back to. Right. I appreciate you answering that because often people who run into a faith crisis, and we talk about this a lot, that, that first off, there may not be very many people, at least on the onset within their circle of friends and family who really can speak to those issues that you're struggling over. There's nobody around who's got the perfect answer in your ward and, and perhaps very few of them have even thought through some of those issues. And so it's one of these times in your life where you feel very alone and, and your world is turned upside down and, and often other members or family or friends will will try to rush in and rescue you by trying to get you to toe the line again in or to tell you that, you know, to go back and just read your scriptures and pray harder and these things will fix themselves. And in reality, that doesn't work. And I, I'm glad you spoke about your parents, even in the midst of disagreeing with those choices, still loving you and welcoming you and that their home was still your home. And, and I appreciate hearing that because sometimes that's not what happens. And, and I, I don't want to make people who react differently feel bad. I understand that in many ways, the family and friends of those who have lost faith in some senses feel upset or betrayed or frustrated with the situation as well. But, but in the end, if we want to help people, um, as you talked about having empathy, remaining friends, validating the person as a person, you know, recognizing they have agency and, and, and standing behind the fact that they've got agency and can use it, those types of things in the long run are much more helpful. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Yeah, so I'm glad to hear you, you talk to for at least a moment about that. So you go through this faith crisis, you, you've encountered issues on your mission, you, uh, you come back and, and through college and through finishing, uh, up the, your education and going into your career, you begin to go in a, just a wide range of directions with the Unitarian Church and, and you said you spoke out openly against the church. Where do things start to turn around and, and at what point does, uh, is there a door open for your faith to, to come back in? Uh, well, you know, I think, I mean, it's kind of interesting that, um, for 20 years when you, you kind of, um, take a path, um, experience life, make decisions, meet people, do things, and then kind of stand and consider, are you happy? And, and I had to say, um, I was kind of happy those first few years, you know, <laughs> even maybe seven years, maybe 14 years. But, um, uh, and, and that's always interesting too, because on the internet, you sometimes read about people that have left the church and, and that you see their exhilarated feeling of, of freedom, you know, that they, they escaped the church. And then I'll, I'll read a little further and, it, you know, they did it last year or seven years right. ago. Yeah. But, but, um, but I'm talking, you know, kind of a generation of 20 years and, and really thinking about my life and, and, you know, sort of moving to the other end of things, you know, seeing, seeing the end and not so much, uh, 
the the beginning. And um, I just, uh, I have to say, I, I wasn't happy. Uh, in fact, I, I could say I was miserable, um, kind of miserable in how I felt about myself and my priorities and had nothing to do with, um, you know, maybe success in a career or the world, you know, because from the uh, out, you know, outward um, appearance, things might might look like they were going well. But um, I and I, I don't know that I was felt guilty for breaking the commandments uh, because I, I had felt like I was kind of on a road to search for truth. And um, I had been praying all along the way, even in those 20 years and, and thinking that that I was on a path where God could communicate to me some things. But but I, I almost wonder if, if God said, you know what, she's she's so stubborn. <laughs> I'm just going to let her. Uh, kind of wear herself out, and and I feel like I I felt the natural effects of my poor choices. Um, things like looking back and and uh, realizing there were a lot of a lot of um, missed opportunities for service. Um, I think um, weakened family ties. I have known better with family and and, and missed the family association. Um, and I think. Um, uh, I was past childbearing age, really. You know, I was 46, 45, 46, and so lost the chance to have my own children. That is, if I wanted to have a, a child and, and be the biological mother and that kind of thing. So there were there were things happening where where I began to, um, you know, just feel like there were things missed, and I also felt alone uh, in a way. And I really, really wanted to retrieve what I recalled as a very positive world of my youth. Uh, where where people were helpful in the ward and um, families were the center of attention and and families knew families and they were connected in in kind of predictable ways. Right. Uh, things aren't that predictable out out there in the world where everyone's kind of choosing their own way to way to be. Um, but I uh, uh, there were about four people that I I could identify maybe that that uh, really helped me come back and I think these kinds of people are are important to people that have left the church because you just are so disassociated after that many years. I mean, you don't even know how to sit in a meeting for three hours and, um, uh, you know, how to, how to connect up again. And, and so I had a friend, um, who, uh, was affiliated with Sunstone, one of the few people that I still had some contact with that was a Mormon and, uh, and he was helpful in, in kind of uh, helping me bridge back and into sort of thinking about even associating as a Mormon again. Uh, then I got a, a brother-in-law who um, had to uh, come to Southern California to um, get trained for a new job, and he stayed with me for a while um, while he was getting settled. And, and really, we had some great conversations. Um, I was in a relationship that wasn't going anywhere, and, and it was just kind of a family member that was needed to sort of talk me into thinking that, hey, maybe I can could show up at a church dance. So it's kind of humorous, but I, I probably went to a church dance before I ever started going back to church. Um, it seemed a little <laughs> less threatening. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, I think I've said this to some people before, but, uh, but I almost think that when Jesus returns, he's going to go to a church dance. There's a lot of, uh, I think there are a lot of people suffering, you know, people that have been through serious divorces and, um, had hardships, different things, mental illness. Um, you, you really meet uh, kind of fellow fellow walkers in life, I guess, uh, at a church dance. <laughs> um, but uh, also I had a home teacher. Um, I kind of had home teachers, uh, I think, that had come by. But, but I happened to have one here in Southern California that didn't give up. And he and his wife would come by and bring donuts and uh, 
they'd come in and they said they wanted to read the scriptures. And I, I remember thinking, you got to be kidding. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they uh, kind of insisted on doing that. And I, uh, I felt that that was, uh, that was interesting, you know, because it, it was, uh, as I view it now, um, pretty solid connection with, with what I feel is, is the core of, of, of belief. And that is God's uh, communicating with prophets and these messages being written down in some way. So I thought, I thought that was interesting to see his example of scripture reading. Um, and then I, uh, I, uh, at some point decided, you know, I, I needed to go to my bishop. That's what I've been taught to do. And I felt that I needed to, uh, repent and ask forgiveness for, for maybe making some of the choices that I've made and, and getting myself to where I was, uh, where I didn't want to be. And, uh, my bishop, uh, made me feel wonderful and he, he made me feel forgiven, um, after I had repented. And so, you know, when I return to church, um, I really uh, relate to, I think it's uh, Paul's words about seeing through a glass darkly. I, I still had questions that were unanswered, but I did feel that I was um, I was looking towards something that was real, um, you know, kind of kind of an image of a little bit fuzzy and, and uh, not not crystal clear. But but I did feel that it was uh, this was kind of a spiritual rebirth of some kind. And, and I, I do understand uh, Protestants when they, they use those terms born again, because that is that is kind of how you feel. Um, I also related to the prodigal son. I guess I was the prodigal daughter in Luke 15, um, who said that he, he knew he had sinned against heaven and that he was spiritually dead and that he was lost. But he, now he was found. And he had, he'd come home, and and that's that's definitely what I felt, and and that scripture means a lot to me now. That's beautiful. And having spent twenty years out of the church, if 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 somebody gets anything from this interview, I hope that there might be one person out there who who has spent a long time out of the church and and wishes they could figure out a way to get back and and say, you know, it's just been too long. And they're going to hear your story, Janet, and hopefully that that will spark them to do what Elder Uchtdorf pleaded for them to do, which was to come back and to come join with us in spite of whatever differences there were. I do want to ask you, from from working with these four key people who each served a major role in helping you to return to the church, from the moment there was an inkling in you that, hey, you know what, I think I think it's possible for me to go back. Do you know? Do you remember offhand about how much time passed between that first thought and when you actually went back to church for the first time? Uh, you know, I think I, I thought about it for quite a while. Um, I mean, I think it was, could have been a couple of years between the time that I, I first, uh, started thinking, you know, I think I'll, I'll make a connection. And then to the point where I could walk into a bishop's office, I, I can still remember it was a rainy night and I was, uh, uh, crying in his office, you know, but it, it, it really, uh, it took a while, it took a while. I, I, I don't think I'd expect, uh, that any of this could, uh, just be a decision you make and then you know you're back in sacrament meeting and they've given you a calling or something i I think it takes time yeah and and i i figured that's what you would say and because i wanted to kind of play off that and just say that kind of to go along with the lines of spending a lot of time out of church i know that there are people out there too who who for one reason or another have a step back away from the church 
and and perhaps over the last few months or maybe the last even couple of years, it's been a thought in their mind that, hey, you know, I think I could go back now. I think if things, if, if I could make, like you say, make a connection and uh, and some things could happen, I could see myself going back to church. And again, I hope, I hope listening to this interview with you that that'll be an inspiration to them to do that. I know that when I was serving as, uh, as a bishop, Janet, right when I was first called, it must have been the first week or two, there was a, a sister in our ward who had her name removed from the records and uh, she had spent about the same amount of time you had outside the church and she came back in to sit down with me first time i ever met her and we sat down in my office and she told me she goes i want to get baptized and uh, we had a long conversation and uh, and today she's she's one of my best friends and uh, wow that's that's just, great i just i just want to say uh, i really appreciate the courage that people like her and you have to to step away to be upset or angry or frustrated or feel like you you know the church is a fraud and and to come out against it and then to be able to recognize that you know what those are some things I probably shouldn't have done and and to repent of that and to to go through that process it's not easy and so I, I really thank you for the courage that you've got I uh, I want go ahead. Oh, well, I, I was just going to say, you know, I, I didn't um, choose to request that my name be taken off the rolls. Um, and I, I think that had to do with that I thought the church was fraudulent. So <laughs> why bother? It didn't matter. Right? Yeah, it didn't really matter. But uh, uh, I would imagine it might be a little bit harder for someone that had um, been excommunicated or, or had their name taken off the rolls because you've there was sort of an extra uh, step uh there that that uh, would make it just a little bit harder, but but it, I, as you said, I, I certainly hope those who want to come back will come back because you know I'm an active member now and and we need you. <laughs> I mean we need people who who've had experiences and who understand things and and who can change when the spirit has uh, told them that that things aren't what they thought they were and and that, that maybe they've made a mistake. Yeah, and and maybe one of the things I took away from that panel discussion with you and Don Bradley and Maxine Hanks and myself was to just never say never and to realize that even even if people decide to separate themselves from the church, that to never lose hope in them, never stop praying for them. If it's your if it's your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad or or your spouse, to just never stop loving them, never stop praying for them, and to to look for Heavenly Father to give us a miracle in these situations. And so I, I hope that people will recognize listening to your story and, and some of the thoughts that we're sharing and the sister that I just I just shared about, that we recognize that there there is no point where you say, well, sorry, they left the church, they're not coming back, but to, to always hold on to hope. Um, so again, I, I just appreciate your story very much. I uh, I want to kind of ask you, I guess, you know, kind of to follow up with that, uh, where things are at today with you and and your feelings about uh, about your faith at, at the current moment. Um, uh, things are good. Uh, things are good. I I uh, came back to the church um, when I was about forty six, and uh, I I, I kind of recall it being slow. I feel like I maybe just went to a sacrament meeting at first, you know, and then I was given a calling um, to actually teach the gospel essentials class. Um, so people that were either struggling in the faith or new members were in that, and and that was uh, that was helpful actually, and I think I could relate to many of the things they were going through. But then I, um, you know, I, I did, I have always valued family and I didn't have my own family. And, uh, and so I, I was, I was interested in meeting someone and I, I did meet my husband. Um, 
actually, I can tell you, LDSsingles.com. <laughs> so, awesome. you know, never too late. Um, but right. uh, he's a faithful member of the church, and uh, that was something I was looking for. And uh, I, I don't want to leave the church again. Um, I think now that I'm back, I, I'm not expecting the perfection that I might have expected in my youth. Um, I have a, a more realistic view about testimonies and church leaders and volunteer church service. Um, I'm pretty tolerant of uh, things that, that don't, you know, go according to plan all the time. I, I think that's uh, that's great, and that's the Lord's church has got people in it and uh, people doing the best they can. I think. Um, I do find when I'm in sacrament meetings uh, that uh, I'm touched very easily by things that are said or read over the pulpit. Um, uh, the, the scriptures seem to be just coming alive. I, I can almost almost anything can be read, and I, I feel that I it means something to me now that it that it never did um, in my youth. Gotcha. You know that's that's touching, and it's that it speaks to that whole idea of of Christ's atonement in the, the sanctifying or changing power that it has within each of us. And, uh, and and as you mentioned earlier, being out of the church, you almost felt like looking back that Heavenly Father said, you know, I'm just going to let her wear herself out. And and when you did that, now to be where you're at today, and I realize that you on some level regret having spent 20 years out of the church. I get that. But I also add that, that having gone through that experience some of that has shaped you into what you are today. And some of those things such as appreciating the scriptures the way you do probably wouldn't have been attained had you, had you not left the church and, and found a way to stay in from the beginning. Yeah, I think that's true. So, so yeah, so there's some definite growth there that comes from those experiences as well. Um, Janet, just to, to kind of wrap up this interview, I thought I'd give you a chance to maybe share some thoughts you have for things Things you think would be worthwhile to those who are struggling, maybe a perspective or ideas that you could offer that would help those who are listening to this uh, podcast, who are in the midst of a crisis, or maybe even it's the loved one of that person who's listening and, and some thoughts for maybe things that they can relay back to that, that person they love dearly who's having a, a major trial of their faith. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, and I'm going to, I have to say this because this is the way I am. Um, I think doubting Thomases have a place in the church. Um, I mean, a legitimate place. And, you know, mothers and fathers have children who sometimes think about things differently than, than they do. And, uh, and, you know, they're God's children too. Um, and I, I think should be legitimized by, you know, maybe, um, uh, DNC 46, 13, 14 that talks about that some people have the gift to believe on the testimonies of those who know Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I mean, that's, that's a gift also. Um, different from those who, who seem to know, but, um, those who believe and, and, and have faith on without perfect knowledge, uh, have a place too. Um, for those individuals that, that feel that way, that were like me, kind of intellectual doubters, um, I think they need to continue to read and think and ask questions. Uh, and, and don't be afraid to compare perspectives of those in and out of the church uh, to come to your own conclusion about, about what's true. Uh, for me, I uh, uh, really enjoy reading the New International Version of the Bible because it, it uses modern language. Um, and it, you know, you can you can almost read through the Bible in a very short period of time and understand it uh, better than the King James. And just, you know, f- for that reason alone, you know, if someone's never really gotten through the Bible, you know, read the New International Version and, and see what you think. It's uh, it, it's it it really is. Uh, you can get the meanings you need that I that I think uh, might not be there with the King James. 
Um, I also found Richard Bushman's book, Rough Stone Rolling, excellent in, in sort of uh, summarizing a lot of the uh, evidence against him. Um, it's clear that that Bushman is aware of the counter arguments, um, but he also has brought in a lot of evidence and data that that for me confirms Joseph Smith as an honest man. Uh, the more I read Joseph Smith's own words and, and those around him, uh, he wasn't perfect, but uh, I think he saw what he saw, whether it was a spiritual or you know physical eyes, but. Uh, I also, I might just say one thing about uh, my Aunt Camilla Kimball. Um, she knew I was struggling at one point, and I remember asking her, you know, how I could believe this when it, it didn't seem all clear to me. And, and uh, she did say, you know, she, she was a thoughtful person herself, and that there are things that even she uh, had to shelve for later reflection. Um, and, uh, you know, she and other relatives, you know, were often saying, you know, you shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, all the good that you do know in, in that. And, uh, you know, why, why give that up for a lot of unknown that's uh, really not going to take you where you want to go. And I, I, of course, didn't really believe her then, but <laughs> I do now. I think that was pretty good advice. Um, so I, I guess uh, also what I'd say is uh, that, that if a person's struggling, they should try to seek thoughtful companions in the church who are honest and patient, forgiving, loving, kind, and, you know, ask their questions and try to work through some things. Um, I, uh, I do know that even with that, just because of inexperience, there might be people that still can't see it. And in that case, I, I don't, I don't know what you can do except that they may need to leave as I did and, and, and return, uh, hopefully. Um, but the Lord has, uh, in my case, I, I think, uh, allowed it, you know, for me to, to still, uh, gain a, an awareness and a, and a belief in, in the restored gospel, even even with a long, you know, detour away for 20 years, um, I, I feel that I'm back and I'm 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 here for good. Awesome! It's it's a great you know it's great to hear you recount your journey. And, and I just a couple of points in this like last little segment here. D and C 46 is also one that I love. There's this there's this idea in the church that because I've had a enormous spiritual experience and because because I have a gift for faith. That must mean that everybody else has a gift for faith and everybody else has the opportunity and is able to get those same kinds of spiritual experiences if they just seek them the way I did. But in reality, the scriptures don't teach that. As you pointed out, Doctrine and Covenants 46 points out that faith is a gift and it's a gift that some get and some do not get. And that while some people have faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, others are only able, as far as they can go, is to be able to have have a belief in the words of those who have those experiences. And and so I'm glad you brought that out. I think that that's an important thing to acknowledge so that when you encounter somebody who's struggling, you don't automatically assume that if they just put the work in, they could have the same testimony you have, that it, it just it just doesn't work that way for everybody. And, uh, and the other thing you mentioned, too, was using a different version of the Bible, which there are going to be people out there who think that that's taboo, that, that we have this assumption in the church that because the King James Version is the accepted version in the United States, that members are excluded or that for some reason any other version of the scriptures would be seen as less than or negative or even um, even breaking the rules to read a different version of the, of the Bible. But in reality, if, if one can get more insight and, and more of a, a spiritual feel from reading that, like you said, you know, more power to you. Go do it. Go check it out and, and see if it'll help you make more sense of the scriptures than the King James Version. 
Right. I um, can't remember where I heard this, but I, I believe the New International Version um, was written by uh, some pretty high-level scholars um, of of uh, the gospel and uh, of the Holy Land. Um, and uh, the, the footnoting is incredible, um, where you can immediately see the meaning of a word just by looking at a footnote. Um, the, the scriptures open up to you. And uh, I, I doubt, I, I believe some of, you know, our LDS uh, uh, leaders uh, use the New International Version. Uh, I think it's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty well-researched version of the Bible. And as an academic, um, I, I think that's, a, uh, that's something to uh, argue in favor of it. Right. I had a, a f- I have a good friend who is in the military and, and he's at times he's been the only Mormon around and he would have these uh, Baptist or evangelical Christians who would get in these deep, long conversations with him. And one time he came home and he, and he said, Bill, you've you've got to, you know, not necessarily put down the King James Version and leave it alone. But w- but would you at least pick up a couple other versions of the Bible and read them? There are so many cool things that these these evangelical Christians and Baptist Christians are are talking to me about. And, and by looking at these other versions of the Bible, I'm I'm able to make a lot more sense of what's going on. And and so I just just to maybe kind of back up what you're saying, if members are out there and they're going through the Old Testament and they're just struggling or they're going through the New Testament and, and some of the things just aren't making sense because it's not in our present language, uh, don't feel like it's taboo to, to get another version of the Bible just to, to use it alongside and, and to see if you can't gain some new insights. So I really appreciate that. Um, Janet, just to finish off this interview, I know having spoken to you at the fair conference and in, in preparation for this interview that you, uh, you're a big fan of Mike Ash's book, Shaken Faith Syndrome and the good that that book can do. Would you mind just maybe speaking to, uh, to that book for a moment and uh, maybe sharing that as one resource that uh, we haven't mentioned yet, but should be on everybody's list who is struggling with, uh, with gospel questions. Um, when I was invited to speak at FAIR, I, uh, I was told about uh, Mike Cash's book, and I hadn't read it. Um, so I, I quickly read it, and I thought, oh, my goodness, just about everything, every chapter in there uh, addressed issues that had been big stumbling points for me uh, 20 years ago when I, when I came off my mission. And I thought if this book could get into the hands of, of people like myself, either those coming off missions where they're, they've been hearing things that they didn't know before, um, or just, you know, members that, that are looking at things on the internet where, where a lot of this, uh, uh, some of these counter arguments exist, um, I, I would re- highly recommend reading Shake and Face Syndrome. If, if I had read that, um, right after my mission, I, I maybe would not have left the church. Uh, he, he was a Mormon. He, uh, he was, if, if someone like that had, had told me these things instead of me hearing them through the, the back door by others, um, I think I could have accepted, uh, kind of the complexity of the issues and, and the interpretation of events, uh, with more of a Mormon slant. Um, uh, but as it was, there really, there really weren't people out there trying to assist people like me. Instead, we were kind of just, you know, slipping out of activity and out of the church. Right. No, I'm glad you shared that. I have also read Mike Ash's book, and I've interviewed him a couple of times for different uh, projects that we've done, both uh, both for the Fair Blog podcast as well as my podcast. I, uh, I'm i appreciative of his book. Having read it, I am just as on board with you are in his ability to take these issues and help remind me that sometimes it's not it's not the fact 
that hurts the church, it's my understanding and context and my assumptions about why that fact should fit a certain way and his ability to kind of help me tear that down and, and rebuild a framework that allows for me to have more realistic expectations and to perhaps rid myself of some of the cultural nonsense that we sometimes have within Mormonism so that, uh, so that there's plenty of room for faith even in the midst of the facts once we put them in the context they belong in. So anyway, I wanted to say uh, thank you for for talking about that. Um, Janet, I appreciate so much you being on the podcast today. I, I again, I hope that people will really take their time and, and listen to this interview and and recognize that that journeys uh, can outside the church can can be tough, can be hard, but that there's always hope for someone to come back, uh, such as yourself. Uh, any final thoughts before we uh, before we conclude? Uh, Bill, just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity. And, and if it helps someone else, I, I would really love to hear that. Awesome. Uh, you're doing a great job for helping people that might be wanting to come back, come back. Thank you so much. Awesome. I appreciate that. And if I get any responses to this interview, I'll be happy to, uh, to forward them on to you. Uh, Janet Irene, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks a lot. Come thou fount of every blessing. To my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of god he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood That day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face Clothed then in blood-washed linen How I'll sing thy sovereign grace Come my Lord, no longer tarry Take my ransom soul away Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God 
I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for Thy courts above. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for Thy courts above.